You might ask, as we've been going through the whole Bible uh, through the series, why we would pick um, the book of Habakkuk that's only three pages long. But I want to suggest to you that if God preserved uh, three pages of Habakkuk for us for almost 3,000 years, then maybe there's something we need to learn or hear from Habakkuk. And that's why we want to take a look at it this morning. And I'm excited to get to do that with you and take a glimpse of that. One commentator, I don't know if you, you noticed in that little video uh, right at the beginning, he, he said the word personal twice. And you see, the thing is, is that the book of Habakkuk is really about a personal conversation, right, between God and Habakkuk about how things are in the world. And so with you this morning, I want to take a look at the personal side of this. I want to I look at Habakkuk's struggle with understanding in the midst of everything that was going on in his world. Of course, that theme, right, of all that struggle uh, has great applications for us today in each of our lives. It resonates with the world in which we live, doesn't it? The struggle of faith in God when life is difficult, when life is painful, when the world and, and the life that you love seems to be falling apart. So the question is, what can we learn from Habakkuk that will help us when faith is hard, when our world seems out of control and we don't see God at work in it, when all we see is pain around us and ahead of us is deception, evil winning and chaos consuming our world. Whether that for you is personal, national, or just the world in general as you see it today. What do we do when faith is hard? Sometimes we forget that the people that God used throughout history in the Bible and wrote books for us and everything, they were real people, real imperfect people. And Habakkuk is no different. He's afraid for himself for the city of Jerusalem, for his country, Judah. He sees corruption and evil in his own country, and he sees warring powers of other countries coming up against Jerusalem and the rest of Judah. And for him, it is overwhelming. Yes, he believes in Yahweh, he believes in God, but he is struggling with his faith, with his trust in God's way, with his trust in God's plan. What does Habakkuk do when faith is hard? What does he do when faith is hard? There is so much here in these three little pages, but we only have time to touch on a few of them, so I want to do this, that with you this morning. So the first thing we see from Habakkuk when faith is hard is that he comes to God. He comes to him. That is so important. You see, Habakkuk goes to God and talks with him about his questions, about his frustrations, about his fears, about, even about his disagreements with how God is handling things or not handling things. It is worth noting here, too, that Habakkuk's response to struggling with God was the exact opposite of what we saw last week in Jonah. What did Jonah do? 
He ran. He tried to get as far away from God and God's plan as he could. Jonah ran from God with his struggle, and Habakkuk took his struggle to God. He went toward God with his pain, with his struggles, and with his questions. And that is a choice that we have, isn't it? When things aren't going well for us, when our world is falling apart, when we see everything happening or listening to the news and stuff on television or whatever, we have two choices. We can run from God or we can come to God. When evil seems to be winning, we can try to take things into our own hands, blame God, live in anger and run away. Or we can come to God with all of it in the honesty of our pain, confusion, and fear. And interesting, look at Habakkuk's questions in the very first chapter in verses uh, two and three. What does he say? The verses that Scott read for us this morning in verse two, he says, oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you, you, you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk asks these questions of God. And you notice his first lament is very honest, isn't it? There's no, no theological words here, no, no churchy words here. He's just raw and honest with God with what he's struggling with. You just hear his honest questions. But look again, look at, look at his second complaint. Look at verses 12 through 17. He says this. He's complaining to God again. He doesn't like the way God's going to take care of the evil in Israel, so now he's complaining about that. He said, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You, you who are pure you who, who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? In Habakkuk's second set of questions and lament to God, talks about the way the things are. He challenges God's plan. He, he, in a sense, debates God. Really, God? This is how you're going to do it? He doesn't like what God says. Why would God use a nation of people as evil as the Chaldeans to bring judgment to God's chosen people? Why would he do that? And then... Habakkuk, look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Habakkuk says this, I will take my stand at my watch post 
and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. He's saying, I want God, I want to debate you about this. I want to debate you. But hear this. Hear this. Notice that God did not answer in anger. He accepted Habakkuk's frustration, fear, and his raw cries out to God in the midst of his fear. And what Habakkuk says in chapter 2, verse 2, is simple, profound, but often overlooked. Just says this, and the Lord answered me. Habakkuk came to God with all kinds of questions, with all kinds of concerns, with fear, with frustration, not even liking the answers he hears from God, so he comes up with other questions and says, come on, God. He said, believe it or not, God answered me. God honored Habakkuk coming to him. God did not answer all of his questions, but he did hear Habakkuk, and he did respond, and he did give Habakkuk some knowledge of his plan. You see, though Habakkuk was wrestling with all that was going on in his world and understanding the plan of God, he still went to God with all of it, and God heard, and God responded. Though his faith and trust in God was struggling, but hear this, but his struggle was because of his heart for God. He was seeking to understand because he did believe in God. So instead of running away from God, he went to God. We have an advantage over Habakkuk, don't we? In our times, when faith is hard, we have Jesus we have his words such as these. John records Jesus' words in John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus says this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have what? Tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Logan often shares these verses for us in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, and, he, and Jesus' words, and it says, come to me, Jesus is saying, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Any of you there? And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. When life gets hard and evil seems to be winning, don't run away from God, but come to him with an honest heart about how you feel and your questions regarding where he is in all of this. He will not push you away. He will welcome you into a conversation with him. He is listening. He cares. And he will answer. So when faith is hard, 
the first thing we see from Habakkuk is to come to him. I think it's interesting that in the midst of this dialogue that Habakkuk has with God, Habakkuk does a lot of remembering. He does a lot of remembering on his own, and then God also kind of jogs his memory on some other things. So the second thing that we see from Habakkuk when we're dealing with when faith is hard is to remember him. Remember God. Are of any, if, if any of you are like me, um, I, am, I am an out loud thinker. Any of you in that category where you think out loud? Yeah. And sometimes it gets you in some weird situations, doesn't it, when you think out loud? Yeah. My, my wife will hear me sometimes talking to myself, and I think she may wonder if I need psychological help, Right? Yeah, but I, assure her, I assured her it's just me processing. Now, now, an example of this that I thought of was, uh, you know, I'm not great with movie facts or anything. I've found that out when I get in discussions with people. But I believe it was a scene from the movie The Little Rascals, okay? And I, and I believe their clubhouse catches on fire, and two of them go to a, a phone booth. Any of you remember what a phone booth is, Right? And they're standing in line of the phone booth, and they finally get to the phone, and the one has the, phone, has the receiver, and he turns around to the other one and says, quick, what's the number for 911? Right? Ever done anything like that? Ever ask a question and realized in the question was the answer? Look at me with Habakkuk's words to God in the midst of his question. Look at chapter 1, starting with verse 12. He says, he, this is Habakkuk talking to God. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. Habakkuk in this one verse, I believe, is doing some of this thinking out loud. In his complaint against God, he is coming face to face with the reality of who God is. Are you not from everlasting? I was in education for a long time. In education, we would call that a cute question. In other words, you're asking a question, and there's only one answer. Yeah, he is eternal. And then he says, O Lord, which is O Jehovah, which is saying that God is the absolute constant one. He never changes. He is eternal. He is never changing. Then he uses a form of the word Elohim for God, which talks about that he is the true God. He is the God of the people of God. And then he says, Holy One, perfect, without blemish, pure one, completely and perfectly good. And then he calls him the rock, and even that is directly from Moses' words in Deuteronomy chapter 32. Here's what Moses said. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord and ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright he is. You see, in Habakkuk's complaint to God, 
He is remembering, isn't he? He is remembering who God is. God also, though, in this passage helps helps Habakkuk with his understanding. Look back at verse five of chapter one. These are God's words in his answer. And he says, look among the nations and see and wonder and be astounded. Then look at the next line. For who? For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Look at verse six. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. God reminds Habakkuk that evil people are not the ones in charge. Do you hear that? God reminds Habakkuk that evil people are not the ones in charge. He is doing a work through them. He is raising them up for his purpose. God also affirms to Habakkuk that he will not let evil win, but that he wins. And, but we have to let him work out his, in his way, in his timing, and know that if God says it, it will happen. Look at chapter two, verse three. God says this in his answer to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. In other words, it's true. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God reminds Habakkuk of his truth and plan. And the center of that, the keystone, if you will, of this whole little book of Habakkuk is chapter two, verse four. Look at it if you have your Bible. It says this, God says this, behold, his soul is puffed up. Talking about the Babylonians here, right? It is not upright within him. But what's the next line? But the righteous shall live by his faith. If this takes you back to the full story that we've been going through, to the book of Genesis, then maybe you were getting the same reminder that God was giving to Habakkuk and through Habakkuk to the people of Israel. If it takes you back to Adam and Eve wanting to be like God, wanting to be their own God, puffed up, saying, I'm I'm in charge, and sin entering the world, and evil getting a foothold on man in this world, his soul is puffed up, referring here directly to the evil Chaldeans, the people of Babylon, and I believe the people of Judah and Jerusalem who had left God behind and sought other gods to do things their own way. But you see, this has been the very nature of man since Adam and Eve, hasn't it? We want to be in charge. We want to get the glory. We want to decide what is good, etc. And we do a lousy job. And then, the the second part of that, I believe that God takes Habakkuk right to -to face-to-face with Abraham, whom God declares righteous because of his faith and trust in God. The Bible makes it clear that there is no righteousness other than by faith in God. And that has always been his plan. You can never earn your way into God's presence, into eternal life with him. Talk about using evil 
Think about this. God used a corrupt religious system and a cruel Roman device of death called the cross to free us from sin through Jesus, to pay the penalty of sin that we could never pay. We can only become righteous to live eternally in the presence of a good God through the work of God on an evil cross through evil people. God used evil for good. God got, brought grace to you and me through the terrible sacrificial death of his son. Paul says it this way very succinctly in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And of course, Thomas says, Lord, we don't know. How can we know the way? And Jesus says what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, the only way to really live is through faith in the real, eternal, everlasting, loving, grace-filled God who sent his Son to redeem us, to buy us back from sin, and make, and make righteous through faith in Jesus work for us, to make us righteous. Habakkuk did not have all of that information that we have today, but God reminded him of what I believe he already knew, that Habakkuk already knew, that righteousness comes only through faith. But the remembering continues. Look at chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. It says, Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God says these words in the middle of his woes regarding Babylon, regarding a people who are going to take advantage and use evil to get what they want. And what, and what God is saying to Habakkuk at this point is that man's ways and efforts will not win. They will not last. God wins, and the earth one day will be free of evil. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Sooner or later, a good God has to take care of evil. Judgment has to be made or he wouldn't be good. Think of it with regards to your own family, your kids. If you're a good father or a good mother, you are eventually going to take care of any evil that is impacting your kids. A good God is going to have to someday judge evil, take care of evil. And here's the mic dropper, if you will. Look at verses, verse 220, Habakkuk 220. This is how 
God ends his conversation with Habakkuk. He says this, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth basically shut up before him, right? Because you're nothing compared to me. You're nothing compared to me. And that's God's word to Habakkuk about whether evil wins. In chapter 3, as we saw in, the, uh, in that video, uh, after God has jogged Habakkuk's memory a bit, he gets back to remembering. And in chapter 3, you need to go back and read all this, but he remembers all the powerful ways in, God's, which, in, the ways in which God worked in the past for the salvation of the people of Israel, for the people of God. How many times, how many times the odds of survival were not on their side? But God did miraculous, powerful things to protect them and bring them out of Egypt and make them into a nation. Habakkuk remembers the power and the grace of God in all that he did. He remembers that God is very capable of handling any kind of evil that might try to rival him. He remembers what he has read and has been told about the greatness of his God, about the greatness of Yahweh. May I say to you that it is easy to forget in the midst of trouble, fear, pain, and evil that there is a God that is bigger and greater than all of it. It's easy to forget that. No matter how ominous that trouble may look or feel, how powerful it may look, how numerous its ways of defeating you, God is so much greater. And this is not just an Old Testament thing, an Old Testament story, men and women. Jesus said this. He said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. I'm God. Jesus told the wind and a storm to go away, and it did. Jesus commanded dead people to come back to life, and they did. Jesus said he would rise from the dead, and he did. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said he would come back to earth for his people, for those who confess him as Lord, and he will. Remember, remember, remember. As we look through the New Testament, we see writer after writer giving words of remembrance to the people. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 starts out by saying, now I would remind you, and he reminds them what is true about them because of Jesus and the gospel that they were preached, that he preached to them. And again in Colossians chapter one, Paul reminds them of who Jesus is when he says he is the image of the invisible God, that he is the one that holds all things together and all things were created by him and for him, whether thrones or dominions or rulers, all authorities. That's who Jesus is. And we need to be reminded of that. And so also this remembering and proclamation of the nature, power, and plan of God, get this, still did not answer all of Habakkuk's questions. 
it still did not take away all of his fears and pain regarding all that God said is going to happen, okay? But his crying out to God, his knowing that God hears and answers, and his remembering of all that he knows about God gives him enough to worship God in the midst of uncertainty. Are we there? The future looked terrifying for him and his city, Jerusalem, and for Judah as a whole. Soon, all the things that he had held dear other than God himself were going to be wiped away. In fact, we have no record that Habakkuk even survived Babylon's taking of the city of Jerusalem and destroying it. Yet he took a stand for God. He chose worship in the midst of chaos. He chose faith in God. And he penned these words that have been preserved for us for close to 3,000 years. Turn to Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. Probably the most well-known verses in the little book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk says this. Remember, he's still scared. Okay? Remember, he still doesn't have all the answers he wants. But here's what he says. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the field, and there be no herds in the stalls. In other words, everything that sustains life in his culture is gone. It's gone. And then he says this, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. So when I was studying this and reading this, the question that came to me was, are you there yet? Are you there yet? Sometimes, right? Sometimes not. It's kind of like a spiral of faith, isn't it? As we choose to come to him, as we choose to remember, as we choose to worship him in the midst of not understanding, our trust and faith in him grows. Here's a statement that I just, I, I just wrote a while back, and I've shared this with a few people. As I've, I've thought about this, I said, you see, if God never did anything else for me other than forgiving me in Christ and adopting, adopting me into his eternal family, it would be more than I could ever hope or imagine. Do you get that? I worry about so many things, don't you? If God never did anything else for me other than forgiving me in Christ and adopting me into his eternal family, it would be more than I could ever hope or imagine. If things go really bad for us on this earth as followers of Jesus, we still have a hope and a future that is beyond all reason, all understanding in the presence of God. And sometimes this is all we have. 
but it is still more than enough to worship and honor him with everything. When faith in God is hard, because life is hard, follow Habakkuk. Come to God with it. He is there waiting for you. Remember him. Remember that he is more than worth trusting and following. And thirdly, worship him. He is worthy of it even when we don't feel like it and even when we don't understand. God invites you today to come to him with your questions, with your struggles, with your fears, with your hurts, with your pain, and he will listen, and he will hear. There's no getting good enough to go talk to God. Come on, we, you know, only by faith. He'll just come to him. You don't have to have the right words. Just cry out to him like Habakkuk did. Remember, it's not by works. It's by faith. Confess. Believe. If you have never come to God, I invite you, I plead with you to don't play religious games, but come to God and confess your need for him. Jesus says, you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Paul said these words, that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Come to him. Remember him. Maybe you're dealing with anger and fear and it's tearing you apart. And it's creating depression and anger in your life. Come to him. Remember him. Worship him. Let's pray. God, it's easy for the world in the world in which we live to get all wrapped up in fear and anxiety, anger, depression. And yet, God, you're still God. You're still in charge. You're still there. You're still listening. And you win. Where you are in your holy temple and all the rest of the world will be silenced before you and your glory will one day fill the entire earth and all evil will be gone. Thank you. Thank you for what we have in Jesus. Thank you that we are sons and daughters of yours. Thank you that we are forgiven that we are loved, that we have an eternal inheritance with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And thank you that there is nothing that we can do to make you love us less and there's nothing we can do to make you love us more. You just do. And Father, help us to trust you that you're in charge and that you win and it's for your honor and glory. And with that, Lord, teach us how to worship you in the midst of it. We pray this in Jesus' name.